0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew 28. As we continue to work through this series. Thus the 1, 2, 3, 29, 30, 31, whatever. We'll see what the Lord has in store. It is our privilege to be reading the very Word of God It is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. This is God's word. Therefore, out of respect and reverence for the author of scripture, please stand for the reading of his word this morning. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would guide us and direct us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond, dear Father because we're to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. For it's in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we began this uh, this quote-unquote series, we saw that as we defined the church, that it is a group of people whom Christ has brought together. For service, by that we talk about the fact that we aren't here because of random choice. We are here because Jesus Christ saved us. He bought us, and He brought us together. We're very unique uh, aspects of God's creation. Each one of us dealt, each one of us made in God's image, and therefore uh, each one of us are to deal with one another uh, in in that manner, with a very respectful manner. Uh, A very God-freeing manner. We're all image bearers of God. And we've been saved for service. We're not here just to to take up space. We're here to serve. And by the way, there's no age limit on that. There's no time limit on it. Uh, We're to serve until the Lord calls us home. And then we get to serve for eternity. Secondly, we saw that uh, as we seek to fulfill this task that we are lights, and uh, the as lights that people are to see, uh, the way we live our lives, this is described as see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In other words, as, as lights that were to shine forth as we live our lives for the glory of that one who has saved us, keep in mind that the bulb that I held up. Was merely a bulb and worth nothing until it gets screwed into the lamp and plugged into the source of power, right? Therefore, as we think through that illustration and what Jesus says in John 15, you know, we would just be taking up space unless we're plugged into that source of power, which is Jesus Christ. Which means that if we're not living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're burned out lights. But if we're going to glow, then that means we're tied in with the Savior. And that's an important principle to keep in mind, folks, because uh, without a relationship with Jesus, we're nothing. Now, as we look today at what I've called uh, number three, part three, as we look at this task that the Lord has given to us, verses 18, 19, and 20, we see what we refer to as the Great Commission, and I want to kind of deal with each part in a, in various ways as we work our way through, but this is what the church is to be doing, Okay. Uh, we we begin this text by saying, first of all, uh, that the king is talking. He says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, the commander is giving orders to his army. All authority, he says, has been given to me. And when we think about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand because he perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father He assumes the natural position at the right hand of God the Father, that position of authority. And so this is the position from which Jesus is addressing his disciples now. He's commanding them. What does he command them to do? Well, as we look at the structure of verses 19 and 20, as all good grammarians... right? I'm old enough to remember when Dizzy Dean lost his job on the CBS Fall Staff Baseball Game of the Week because he was not a good grammarian. It's kind of yucky when you hear what people say on there now. okay? But as good grammarians, we look at verses 19 and 20, and we see that we have one primary verb, and three participles. A participle is a verb that acts as an adjective. It describes the main verb. The main verb is to make disciples. And so our responsibility as God's children is to make disciples of all the nations, we're told. Now, to make a disciple means, obviously, we need to be involved in evangelism, but there's more than just evangelism. To make a disciple, you actually invest time in somebody. You disciple them. You nurture them. We disciple our children. We don't just have them and say, boom, you're out. Go earn your own. No. We spend years nurturing them, raising them, so that ultimately they will go out on their own. And that's the picture when you think in terms of discipling or discipleship. The three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. Today we're going to look at the significance of going. Now, I recognize that uh, uh, there was a time in our culture when when the church was the center of the community. When uh, people had problems, it was to the church that they would go. It was to the pastor that they would go. But brothers and sisters, those days are gone. People don't look to the church for their answers anymore. Well, they never should have in the first place because the church is told to go. That means, as we understand the significance of this, that we're to be the ones that when we serve the Lord, it's not in here. Worship is where God's people come together to be fed, to be encouraged, to enjoy the fellowship, uh, to, be, uh, to be instructed in the Word. That's God's people coming together so that as we go out those doors, we go out into the community. It's a picture of getting out there. It's a picture of being aggressive. It's a picture of going to where the action is. Ministry is out there. You know, yes, we do minister to one another, but we minister to one another for the purpose of what? Getting back in the fight out there, right? That's where the ministry is. That's where we take the gospel. That's where we impact the community. And so as Jesus tells the church, This is what you're to be doing. This is what you're to be doing. There was no picture of passively sitting in a pew and thinking that this is all I need to do to serve my Savior. The service of our Savior, brothers and sisters, is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We have times when we gather together as a body to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, and then we go back out into the battle that's out there. That's where Jesus says where to go. Where is that? Well, in your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts for a minute. Acts chapter 1, I want us to look particularly at verse 8. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, and most likely this is the last thing he said to them, because shortly after he says this, he ascends into heaven. As he speaks to them, again, he reminds uh, he, he reminds them, well, they, they ask the question, when are you coming back? Uh, He literally tells them, it's none of your business. By the way, uh, as we understand when he's coming back, we know he's coming back, right? But do any of us know when? Jesus in Matthew 24 used used the example of like a thief in the night. Paul picks up on that in First Thessalonians. Like a thief in the night, is there a thief who's going to call you and says, and is he going to say, I'm going to rob you tonight at 12 o'clock? No. Hits when we least expect it. Well, that's the illustration, you see. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we live our lives as if he could come back at any moment. That's the picture. We have to always be ready. It's not for us to worry about the times and the seasons. That, that's the Father's business, Jesus says. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay. Our task as going is to be a witness. A witness to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. A witness to the reality that we have experienced Jesus and our lives are different because of that experience. They're changed. A witness to that demonstrates that change in a very real, in a very tangible way. And so these witnesses, these who have experienced this, Are to go forth, as Jesus says, Jerusalem, and you need to think in terms of concentric circles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. The call is, as we go, that we are first of all involved in that concentric circle, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city in which Judea was the territory. And so it expands. And then you have Samaria. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute because that's that's shaking us up in terms of our comfort zones. And then to the uttermost ends of the earth. Now, we're we we, we uh, uh, we're involved in that through mission giving and, and things of that nature as we help support missionaries. Uh, maybe even we get to go short-term missions, or maybe in God's grace you get called to do mission work as well. Who knows? But we are involved in that extension of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what comes with the territory. But that Jerusalem, is the, those are the people we know, the people we deal with all the time. Do the people that you deal with all the time know that you're a Christian? When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody that knows you? That Judea would expand the circle in terms of people that we don't necessarily deal with that frequently, but they're still folks that come across our path every day. Do we take opportunity to bear witness to the reality of Jesus Christ to these people? Samaria. Now that's a neat one. Keep in mind Jerusalem and Judea are neat ones too. But Samaria, you've got to realize that the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. And that went back thousands of years historically. If you remember when Jesus was dealing with what was the greatest commandment, He said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And the second one is like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in Luke's account, there's somebody in the back. I got a question, I got a question. And this would be a question any of us would ask. Who's my neighbor? What illustration did Jesus use? The story of the Good Samaritan. Why? because he's talking to a group of jews and he's confronting them with the reality that even, even people of other nations even people you hate their guts are important because they're made in god's image and so jesus is challenging these folks to 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 get out of their comfort zones and witness for the glory of Jesus. And then I've already mentioned the aspect of the mission work that's involved. But I asked you again when was the last time you shared your faith? Turn to Colossians chapter 4. As we think about how. Now Paul is writing to a church that he uh, had had no direct contact. Uh, A man, Epaphras, had come to the Lord through through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul discipled him and uh, sent him back to Colossae to plant this church. And so as Paul writes, he's encouraging these people based upon what he hears from Epaphras. When you get to chapter 4... Paul is making some uh, various statements as he brings his letter to, the, to a close. And uh, this is interesting as he writes in verses 5 and 6. Walk, he says, which means to live your life in wisdom toward outsiders. Now when he's talking about outsiders, keep in mind earlier in the book he had talked about the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light that God had brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. You see? And so he's now thinking in terms of, okay, how you deal with unbelievers. Making the best use of the time, Paul says. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The picture is here that we be able to address the questions or the concerns that every individual has that that comes to us and have the ability to uh, respond to them in such a way that we give an appropriate answer. Now, it means that we should be able to talk to anybody at any time. Please understand, I do not see a restriction that this is applied to uh, seminary-trained individuals. I don't see this uh, being applied only to officers in the church. Paul is addressing every individual who claims Christ to be their Savior. Therefore, I understand this to mean that we ought to be able to share with everybody who comes across our path and be able to share in such a way that, that everybody can understand. Now, I I appreciate uh, evangelistic programs, but, but, but I have some problems with them because... Uh, if you get yourself into a situation where you say A and the person says B and you say C and D and so forth and so on, it's almost like a canned presentation. Okay? If Jesus is real to you, then you can share very openly and it doesn't come across as a canned presentation. Let me give you an example. There was a book written... Years ago, and by the way, David, I've had a chance to look through all your books, brother, and you might, you might even have this book here. It's called It's entitled The Gospel Blimp, and, and it's, a, it, it's a spoof on programs for evangelism. Uh, there's this Sunday school class that's having a cookout at uh, it, it, one of the guy's homes, and the next-door neighbor is over here drinking beer, kicking his dog, and cussing at his kids, you know, generally ungodly behavior. Okay? And so they come up with an idea. We, we've got to lead this guy to Christ. And so one of the guys says, well, let's have a blimp. And on the side of that blimp, we'll flash the sign, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And we'll play Christian music. So he'll hear the gospel all the time. And we'll drop leaflets. We'll drop tracks which should tell him how to, become Jesus, how to come to know Jesus. Well, as the story goes on, the blinking of lights keeps everybody awake and everybody hates it. The music becomes blaring and disturbing and nobody likes it. The tracks do nothing but clog up the drainage. And during the whole thing, the people involved in the program get so upset with each other that they divide. A year later, they have a reunion. They haven't seen each other for that period of time because, remember, they divided. And the neighbor is with them. And the guy who thought of the blimp said, wow, was it the blimp? And the guy said, no. When my wife was sick, his family brought me food, took care of my children while I had to go to the hospital to be with my wife. When I brought her home, they took care of us. The guy cut my lawn, trimmed my bushes, took care of my dog, brought us food. And they shared Jesus Christ. And I came to know him personally. The light shining in the midst of darkness. Folks, you don't need a pastor to do that. If you're dependent on a pastor, you're Roman Catholic. you understand that? One of the beauties of the Reformation is the priesthood of all believers. We all are responsible to be in obedience to the orders of our great King. We all are responsible to serve faithfully. We all are responsible to be witnesses in our Jerusalems, in our Judeas, in those Samarias where God moves us out of our comfort zone. Now I, I kind of doubt if we'll have experiences like Paul and Silas, remember? They were thrown in jail in Philippi and they were singing and praising God. Boy, you talk about lights shining. The jailer was so overwhelmed by the difference of these men that after the earthquake came and the the gate on the cell fell open and he was going to kill himself and Paul says, no, we're here, his response was, I want what you have. If somebody asked you that, could you tell them simply? I'm not talking about getting into a theological discussion. Could you tell them simply what Jesus means to you? And could you tell them what it means to receive Jesus? We're called to go. That's what our King has commanded us to do. Your homework is. Think of your story of your relationship with Jesus. Be able to do it within five to ten minutes, making it very clear that salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Make it simple. Make it flexible. So that you can share with the most intelligent, Or, you can share with the most uneducated. You can share with the wealthy. You can share with the poor. But you're called to share. And begin to pray. Pray that God would bring folks across your path who need Jesus. And you're going to be a witness. Remember, You don't need a shepherd to do that, guys. All you need is a sincere love for Jesus that you want to share with other people. That they can experience that love for Jesus too. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the glory of the Gospel. And for the precious truth that salvation is ours because of Jesus. And it's in His wonderful name that we pray. Amen.